Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm excited because I've got kind of a LinkedIn, I'll call fashion guru on the program today. <laughs> She's got the greatest caps on LinkedIn. So, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you and have you on the program. I follow a lot of marketers on the platform. I don't follow many marketers out of Europe, right? And we caught up earlier, most of your clientele is in Europe, which has very different buyer behaviors and consumer profiles, et cetera. But uh, you've done work in the US, you went to school in the US. So I'd love to get later in the program, so your thoughts on on how you see clients handle global marketing, right? There's just so many nuances. One of my companies struggles. We struggle in Europe because every country has its own own thing versus the US, which typically doesn't have that. So let's start with this. You're from Morocco. I am. And thanks again, Pete, for, for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, excited. And you live in Spain now, though, correct? I live in Spain, yes. Uh, lived in Spain for years, Madrid, then Barcelona for, for the bulk of the time I've been here, and then just recently moved down south. So, Oh, what, what part? Close to Malaga. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very Warmer nice. weather? Much warmer. It's like a microclimate type weather. Fantastic. So we've, we've first got to ask, how did the baseball cap thing started? How did that get started? <laughs> to be honest, I've always, you know, it started actually with the t-shirts. Right. I, okay. I love making my own T-shirts. I would make them. I would come up with and nothing fancy, mm-hmm. just uh, literally phrases or words that meant stuff to me, usually in a startup world or from client meetings or, or anything like that. And I would just literally go buy a T-shirt, but not the Fruit of the Loom T-shirts. I'll go, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go buy not that H&M. Yeah, H&M could is much better quality. It's it's crap, but it's better quality than Fruit of the Loom. I'll go to H&M, choose a t-shirt, go to the printers, get that printed. You know, I did all that myself until one yeah. day I started sharing photos of my t-shirts and I, you know, people started connecting with that and I'm like, well, why not? Right? In the meantime, with Pitch Slap, you know, just a play on words, we launched our merch, I believe last year. We've had loads mm-hmm. of fun with that. I mean, from pitches be crazy to, and really just normal t-shirts. So <laughs> pitches be crazy to 99 problems, but my pitch ain't one. Pitch me baby one more time. This type of a thing. And, and people are just finding it, you know, it's, it's fun. And they're really just normal t-shirts. And yeah. So I merged these two together. And that's, you know, because I have, I connected the Printful account to our Pitch Slap store. Sure. I started looking at all the other products and I had seen a few people wearing snapback mm-hmm. caps and I'm like, oh, I remember I used to like these caps. I'm going to, I'm going to try one. And I did. And now I'm like a, a full on walking billboard. So the reason I started with that question is it's how I was drawn to you, right? On LinkedIn. Mm-hmm was not only the shirts, but the caps, because so many people on this platform struggle to build a differentiating identity, right? A brand. And you've done it very subtly, right? The colors are vibrant, the logos, I wouldn't say subtle, but it almost looks like it appeared out of nowhere. But the way you described you starting to do the t-shirts, there was some intent there. And it has to be drawn on your marketing background. I'm curious, you went to screen printers, printed these shirts. Did you sell them? Did you give them back to the clients? How did you use them? Or was it just for you to wear? At the beginning, it was just for me to wear. 
absolutely and and because most of because up up until covid hit most of my activities were offline right be it workshops master classes you know all that stuff and so i would promote that i would go and people would ask mm. me well, well you know how can i get one and i'd be stuck because i'm gonna i'm like well i could go through the trouble you know if i if i you know or we connected and all that i could go through all that trouble of going to h&m going to the printers but i can't do that at scale sure right so that's when the idea of the, the Pitch Slab merch store came and I found a platform that was super easy. I said, well, why not merge, you know, the Pitch Slab merch with the, the ideas that I have, right? And just have a different URL, right? With just simple t-shirts, like uh, one that says learning. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're great. And by the way, some of the phrases you have for Pitch Slab, I don't think I could get away with wearing that t-shirt, but you certainly can. <laughs> I might get in a little trouble. So you have several different initiatives. You have Pitch Slap, which I'm curious to hear how that's going. And then you have kind of your day job as well, right? So mm-hmm. between Raise the Runway and Seal Metrics, I want to talk about that, and Pitch Slap, where do you spend most of your time? On Raise the Runway. So that's that's my main gem. Seal Metrics is not an extension of that, but it's a, it's a project that I'm on, right? Okay. With my Raise the Runway cap. I try to have one hands-on project at a time, just one. And I, I feel like it really complements the strategy work that I do, all the work with video also that I do. And Pitch Slap is both of our, because I co-founded it with Taryn Hughes and is both of our small jams. So we do investor pitch mentoring for tech startups, We've also had loads of fun with that, meeting with founders from all over the world. And we also do masterclasses and, and workshops on on how to nail your pitch. That's amazing. And Seal Metrics, is, have you developed a software platform to do this? Is that is that the project? No, the founder, I'm, I'm just there as brand champion. So the founder did develop that. It's a cookie list because here in the EU, the cookie list space, you know, the cookie yeah. list narrative, yeah. the cookie list journey, the cookie list future and all that. It's a, a lot more present than in the US. Although there are a few US companies that are starting to implement that because they know that they are getting traffic from here, right? Yep. But yeah, I really like his story, his purpose and everyone else, all the other cookie list uh, analytics tools, what they're doing is going side by side with the, the, the law. What okay. he did was, I'm going to go all the way to the next generation of laws, and I'm just not going to track people at all, right? It's not, I'm, you know, GDPR compliant. GDPR doesn't even apply, right? So, so there's this opportunity for him to spread awareness, to build, I guess, a different, a different foundation for marketers, for performance managers looking so- forward being a brand champion, what would you be offering them in that role? I mean, what's the primary deliverable for you as a brand champion for SEAL Metrics? At this very moment, the bulk of the work that I'm doing is having interviews, super informal interviews, recorded interviews with people in the space, be it in the the legal or the privacy part, or really just end customer user performance managers, right? The ones that, that have that problem, right? cookie banner went up. They can't see all their traffic in Google Analytics. Oh my God, how do I optimize my campaigns, right? So the bulk of the work that I'm doing is having interviews with these lovely humans and getting content out of that. Interesting. Right? That's That really is just the, the bulk of the work we're doing right now. 
you know, when, when you describe raise the runway, you talk a lot about helping people understand why someone didn't buy and also why they did buy and building on that. So looking at the success you've had with your caps and your shirts, you know, there's nothing greater than when you walk into a room and someone says, how can I get one of those? Right. Without even saying a word, they're like, how can I get one of those? So from a branding perspective and, and based on all of your years as a CMO and a marketing person, what are the things that you believe a company, even we'll take Seal Metrics or even a t-shirt company or a baseball cap company, how do you advise them on trying to understand what consumers want? Because it's a real big challenge. So what what is your secret sauce to helping a brand figure out what triggers a purchase? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a secret at all. Okay. It's interesting. It, it's just that it takes a little bit of time and we everything we want we want it instant right that's why ads are great for for the ego are great for our impatience right because we can see whether it works or it doesn't work right away but there are a few things one if they've never done this before running customer interviews right they're not the same as feedback forms right because right. you have the other person in front of you you drive them with specific questions, but also specific follow-up questions, right? To, to mm-hmm. dig that information out of them, to understand where their head was at, even way before they booked you, even right. way before. Things like, why did they almost, you know, imagine if in, a, in an interview, they said, you know, I was about to click. And then I thought, well, what if it saves my credit card information, Right. And that might seem like a very small insight, but it's super important because yeah. if you're not generating trust around that, mm-hmm. then, 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 and this happened to us recently, just to give you an example on our Pitch Lab merch store, because someone that I have a, a great relationship with, we have that, you know, she can tell me anything. She asked me, hey, Z, I want to get a t-shirt. Do you save the credit card information? Because she's used to paying with PayPal. Sure. And it just clicked. I'm like, well, how many other people are used to paying with PayPal? And they probably didn't tell me, right? Because we don't have that type of relationship, right? Yeah. That's it. Boom. A new phrase was added to the checkout page, right? To reduce that trust. So if you don't go out there and have those those conversations, you, you don't, you could do a batch of customer interviews every now and then, but at least if they've never done them, it's a, an amazing eye-opener to understand their, their buying journey. That, for one. The rest, Pete, on a day-to-day basis, depending on the team, I mean, having a close relationship with sales. Okay. Right? That's one. Yep. Sales yep. sometimes takes things for granted, right? And will probably not give you all the colors. True. But there are certain things that they take for granted that could be super interesting for, for marketing, Right. So have that relationship to share the information. Yeah, I find that we, for a lot of the companies I've helped train their salespeople, we do live role-playing. Mm-hmm. And then we invite the marketing team to the role-playing sessions and the product teams. Because what, what I found interesting in those sessions is they start to see where the salespeople get hung up with a customer and where the customer starts to dis- disconnect from the sales process. And the brand team... The commercial marketing teams, the product teams have no idea where that's happening. And when they listen to the role play, they're like, I didn't know that customers don't understand that benefit or they don't value it. That's one of my favorite. They have no value on a benefit we keep thinking is important. The customers go, I don't think that's important. 
So those role-playing sessions for us became very important, as you described, because there's so much gold in those sales conversations with customers that doesn't get pulled out. That's why products like Gong are important, right? They, they give you hard analytics about what's happening in a sales conversation. So did you start to, when you gravitated and became and started your own company, what drove you to leave you know, a CMO role for a large organization into your own business? Was there something you didn't see happening or was it a lifestyle choice? What would cause you to, to start your own business? I mean, in, in general, I think, you know, my, I'll be completely honest, my number one motivator, one of my biggest motivators was I did not want to work for anyone else anymore. So be it to do things my way or to create value for myself or to just simply not have to explain anything or tell anyone that I, you know, will be out from this time to this time because I have a dentist appointment uh, type of thing or I'm running late. Like, I mean, I work enough. On the contrary, I think I need someone to tell me to stop working, right? So mm-hmm. that was that was kind of that. But also the the I love the the idea of cross pollination. So mm-hmm. I've worked in different sectors, right? From food tech to augmented reality to like all types of sectors. So there's this I really wanted to keep working with different companies at once because I valued the exchange in, in expertise, the exchange in knowledge, the exchange in, you know, tactics also. Certain things might work in one and not the other. So I, I really felt like that was that was very valuable to to my future experiences. I think if customers are smart and they engage someone like you, they need to find value there as well. I like to know the fact that you've seen 20 different industries, you've worked with 20 different customers, you've seen various types of buyer behaviors because you can bring that value to the table versus working on our company for 10 years. It's hard for people to feel that way, but if they're smart outsourcing and bringing in experts brings a lot more value, I don't think people perceive it that way. I think they perceive it as, can this be cheaper and faster versus recognizing, no, you just bring a lot more intelligence into the room when you when you have someone who's been doing this on their own for a while. You know what? That just made me think of, and of course, we're talking about organizations, but when you launch your own business, the day that you start hiring coaches for strategic mm-hmm. sessions or you start paying for other services, you really understand what it means to sell your stuff, right? But in sure. organizations, in organizations, since it's not your money, it's different. Yes. Uh, right? So there's this, they just need to see that it's clear that you can help them right? Probably yeah. from a strong referral, the examples, maybe they've been following you for a while. They just need to see that. And sometimes we're too, you know, we hold on too tight to the, yes, but when am I going to see result number one, right? Mm-hmm. Give me a timeline. Sometimes you you don't know. It could be in a no. week. It could be two weeks. It, depending on, on, it depends on, on them too, right? Sure. Sure. I think you made a good point. Before I became an entrepreneur, I was brought in as a CEO of other smaller companies and helped grow them. And then when I started my own company, very quickly became apparent to me what other entrepreneurs had told me, which is until you do this yourself, you won't realize how much you care (laughs) and and how you treat your own money versus other people's money. And they're right. I think I, like you, I work from home. I enjoy it. It's a, it's one of the benefits of the gig economy. And I think we're going to see 
more platforms that aggregate gig economy workers into functional roles inside of organizations. And you see them more now. I get pitched a lot by marketing companies. Well, outsource your whole marketing team to best of breed, digital marketers, content marketers, et cetera. And I don't know that I'm quite there, although I have I met with a company called Cellex this week, Steve Schmidt, who you've probably uh-huh. seen on LinkedIn. Yeah. Love his that content. Plat- mm-hmm. Love his content. And when I saw the platform, it floored me. It literally floored me. He's created a platform that almost gives you a LinkedIn approach to hiring contract SDRs in a single dashboard. It's fantastic. So it's a game changer. It's almost Uber for SDRs. You just call one when you need one. You see how good they are. You peer rate them. You pay for performance. It's really, it's very clever. I think people still struggle with the creative side, right? Like you're talking about customer research and branding and things that are softer and not necessarily immediate outcomes, right? You can't measure the immediate impact of a brand adjustment. It takes time. So when you think about the work you do in Europe and your time in the US at school and the customers you've worked for, I'm curious, what would be some nuances or differences between a US consumer and a consumer in Europe? Let's just say for t-shirts or caps, how do you, do you see that they, they have different habits or desires? What could you identify? I don't think I have enough you know, empirical data, you know, or, or Solid to make it like, you know, to make it like statistically irrelevant. But I will say in terms of budgets, there is a difference in terms of budgets and okay. what they choose, you know, they're, they'll, I feel like in the U S and again, we're generalizing, they're more yeah. open to trying new things. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is probably connected to this idea of, you know, what, how they view entrepreneurship here in Europe. And again, we're generalizing, but most definitely in Spain, failure is not something that adds value, right? And the U.S. is, okay, fine, um, founder, all your, you know, two exits, three exits, fine, but how many times have you failed type of a thing, right? Tell me how yeah. many times have you failed here the culture is different. It's all blah, blah. Like, yes, we embrace failure and all that. But when it comes time to, you know, when they ask you or it comes time for them to make a decision, you need to make up for your failures with, I think, a lot more success than than in the US. That's very interesting. I, I do remember when I was early raising capital for my first startup, I did speak with a partner in a venture capital firm, and and he said, I typically don't invest in anyone that hasn't had at least two failures. And I said, wow. He said, literally, because when things go well and perfect, and by the way, there are some people who are good, and there are some people who are lucky, and there are some people who are good and lucky. And when you're good and lucky, those are the real big wins. But the people that have had a failure, they learn to navigate in shark-infested waters, they learn how to operate in very tense situations, and then you they they pick their teams better, right? They, they, it's interesting. They you find out what people are made of when money's involved and it gets difficult. So I had not heard anyone say that to me before, and he he meant it. So I raised my hand instantly and said, "I qualify. I've had many failures. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some money?" So that's fantastic. Now, when you think about Pitch Slap, which is fairly new, and there's a brand around it. You said you help tech startups and, and founders nail their pitch. Are those pitches primarily focused on raising capital? Or are they are they selling? What, what, where do you see pitches. more need? Investor, investor pitches. Pitch. Yeah, okay. when we started, yeah, when we started, we we did both because my co-founder is a you know, he has years of experience in sales. He's a sales mm-hmm. coach, 
sales and, and, and mindset coach, but we quickly saw that we had to, to make a decision, right? Choose mm -hmm. one route because they are different, very different. And not to say that one doesn't show up in the other, but it's just not the same. It's not the same format. So if we wanted to streamline the whole thing and make it sort of like, I mean, there's a Calendly link on our on our website where they could just book a session. But if we wanted to streamline all that, we needed to to pick a pick a lane. I would think so because the engagement level is a little bit different. When you're helping a founder do an investment pitch, you're getting deeper into the financials, you're getting deeper into long-term value market assessments versus helping them sell a product, which is very consumer-driven and it's not as deep in the financials. So you're right. What would be a typical engagement for helping an investor you know, craft their investor pitch? Is it one week, two weeks, three weeks, six weeks? How long do you think it, it really takes for you to help them understand where the gaps are and help you understand their business? Yeah, I mean, the bulk of pitch mentoring that we do is is comes from our thirty minutes on demand sessions, right? No kidding. So these these this session, and I'll explain how it's built now. But basically, that's the feedback we've gotten is that just in that one session, right after that session, they could make significant improvements, right? Wow. Because what we tried to do is mimic the first time an investor is seeing your pitch. Right, so we don't do research on on the company. You literally just sign up, pay, and 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 that's it. You get all the emails automated in the background, and we just show up. You have five minutes or less to pitch, and then Taryn and myself just bam, bam, bam for the rest of the twenty five minutes. Right, the whole session is recorded so that you can you don't have to to, to be jotting down notes. So just that first impression gives you enough improvements to keep going. Right. Wow. I, th I think that's very clever because you're right. The first time an investor hears it is the first time. So getting, it doesn't matter any of this stuff. Honestly, it typically doesn't even matter what the material is. It's how they deliver it, what they ask is, and that's what you're digging into in those next 25 minutes is how they can deliver their presentation with more impact. Yeah. And, yeah. and particularly if you get to a slide, you're like, I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish in this slide. Do you? <laughs> right. And a lot of founders throw up on slides, right? There's 20,000 words, 50,000 charts. And you're like, what's the takeaway? What am, I have no idea what I'm supposed to understand in this slide. I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, but I have to say also that I have also created pitch decks, right? So sure. I, know what it, I know what it's like. I know when you have a pitch deck, name of the company, version 22, right? This is the version that the CEO reviewed. This, you know, like I, I know all this stuff, but I've seen yeah. pitch decks, but especially with technical founders. So there's yeah. the idea of I want to talk about my tech right away. Like this whole what are we working on? What's the problem we're solving? How big is the market? Why should, you know, th there's a great blog post by Ben C, Ben Size, CEO. Okay. And, and he said, you know, and I always say, like, if you zoom out and answer these three questions that, that he mentions in the post, which is, why should I care, right? As, as an investor, mm -hmm. why should I care? Why should I believe? Mm -hmm. And why should I join, right? Why, right. why should I care? You should tell me about the problem. Yep. Why should I believe? You're backing it up with, you know. X, Y, and Z. All your yep. validation, all of your finance, mm -hmm. like all, all of that good stuff, the social proof, the, all that. And mm -hmm. then why should I join is, you know, Obviously, if I'm going to put in 10K or 200K, what is, sure. what's in it for me? Right, right. Hmm. And how does Pitch Lab complement the work you're doing at Raise the Runway? Oh, in so many ways. I mean, okay. just, just from working with 
pretty much the same the same target, right? The same type of audience. Granted, with Raise the Runway, I am working with a lot more just solopreneurs, much bigger companies. So not at that stage, but it's in terms of knowledge. I mean, think of a pitch when you're mm-hmm. when you're looking at a, at a, a pitch deck and you're giving feedback. You know, we use not only our our experiences with pitch decks and in the investment community and, and all that in the startup community, but also our sales and marketing backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of cross pollination to bring that word again in everything. And a pitch deck is just literally how are you showing up, right? Right. And right. the lessons there where you have to cut the fluff and you have to be specific and you have to know what is important and bring that forward and let go of the stuff that is not important. Because what you're trying to do in that very first meeting is get a, huh, interesting, tell me more. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to get them to know your whole background, you know, with every single little detail, right? Sure. So if we have that in mind, you know, we work differently and that applies to your LinkedIn posts that applies to the videos. You know, if you right. snip, if you clip snippets from here, you're going to want to optimize it for LinkedIn. Where should I start it? Where should I end it? What should it be about? Like, and then what else do I write around that video? Right. So it applies to everything. You know, you mentioned in your content, video is a big part of what you do and recommend. How do you recommend your clients use video as a weapon? What's the most important things they should consider and where should they post it? So video, ever since the the Zoom frenzy, right? A shout out to Michelle Griffin, who the last time we spoke, she called this the dark Zoom, right? So the dark Zoom is basically all those hours of calls that you're on and you they're recorded Mm-hmm. where you are not thinking, oh, let me, do I look at the camera? How's my hair? My teeth okay? Anything okay? My hip, right? You're not thinking. You're in the moment. Sure. You're answering client questions. You're talking about everything naturally, right? Right. So why don't we just take that as a first step, right? Mm-hmm. And repurpose that. I mean, it's amazing the difference between Oh, yeah. Taking that same, addressing that same issue in a video where you're just, you know, especially for people that are not used to doing video and they just mm-hmm. stand there in front of the camera and they just sound very, very boring. Right? Sure. Right. Which is not them. So why not start with that? And then if you're really keen on, you know, learning how to do scripted and showing up with a lot more power with the power that is you, mm-hmm. by all means, you know start every single day or even, I mean, I could recommend a few people that do scripted, original scripted content very well. Sure. But at least don't let that stop you from doing video. You, you're you there. You've got this powerful content of you in your flow state, like I say, talking about the stuff that actually matters. And that's amazing. Absolutely. So in video, that dark Zoom is also a great source of ideas, right? Exact quotes that customers said is specifics. Specs are super important in, in everything that we do. How do we take all that and build other types of content? From yeah. It? Alex Sheridan is one of the masters. He always puts his iPhone up next to his Zoom camera and just records him. And half of his content is, is him speaking on a podcast or coaching a customer. And he just takes those snippets of himself. Like you said, he's in the flow state. He's actually mm-hmm. just coaching. He's not even presenting. 
And you're right, there's so much gold there. It's interesting. I think one of the reasons I use Riverside, which is the platform we're recording this on, is Zoom doesn't allow you to do two camera feeds. But Riverside, I could take this and I could actually just mark down my clip or your clip and use them in all different places in addition to posting for this episode. It's really a good idea. And I think there are a lot of other tools out there that recognize there's a tremendous amount of content that can also be transcribed and posted. And for SEO reasons, you can get a lot of leverage out of it too. Exactly. It's just not plug and play, right? It's not just, okay, boom, I'm on the call. And then all of a sudden I have these snippets. It takes just a tad bit of, of work at first until you get to, like, for example, I'm not saying that you're doing this, but let's say, you know, you marked, you timestamp, you know, you can see the time, right? 32, mm-hmm. 32 minutes and some, you just mark the timestamp, right? Yep. Right around that time, there was something, a golden snippet. Okay, mark that. Yep. That at least makes it much easier for, for you. Well, that is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I definitely take notes and sometimes I write down a time and go, oh my goodness, you know? If she gave me, she just gave me the name of the podcast episode, or she just gave me something really good I should talk about later. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. So when you think of raise the runway and you think of pitch slap, when you get up in the morning, which one do you get excited about more? Wow, asking those tough questions, Pete. Hmm? Coming in strong this Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's almost it's t- almost time for you to go have a have a drink in in Europe versus where we are in the U.S. We're just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what time is it there? 9.45 Eastern. Yeah, you've got till 12, right? Time yeah, to have yeah. a... <laughs> <laughs> you know me too well. I start at noon every day. That's right. I'm going to go hit it. Like, I'm just kidding. What do I get excited about? I mean, I know that if I have a new t-shirt design that I just put up in the store and I ordered a sample to double check the design and all that, it's probably pitch slap for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why I asked the question because it's it comes across in your content where all your content has value. But when I see you talking about a message or a brand or a logo or a design that you've come up with, I can really start to see that excitement come through, right? Where someone has connected instantly with something you're trying to say, whether it's a catchphrase or something else. So for me, I, I like to see people connect their creative side with their business side. And the whole purpose of the show is why would you start your own company to do that? It's because you wanted that freedom. You wanted to say, hey, you know what? Today, I'm going to go nail a t-shirt design. I don't have to tell anybody. I'm just going to go do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I think, by the way, pitch slap is so funny because it has very different meanings for what you're actually trying to do versus how people perceive it on LinkedIn. Right? I think you're going to sell a lot of these things. I think it's actually kind of funny. Yeah, we wrote that trend. We're always reminding people that ours is the good kind of pitch slap, right? Mm-hmm. Plus the way we write right. it is different. You know, we got the capital P, the, the rest in the yep. small letters, and then the slap in, in, in all caps, but which is different than the pitch slap, which is pitch and then space slap, right? The, mm-hmm. the spammy type. You know, I always have people tagging me being like, I heard pitch slap first from Zena, you know, and I'm like, I can't take credit for that. I can't, you know, we can't take credit for the good type of pitch slap, that for sure. <laughs> sure. For sure. Yeah. So I've probably given two or 300 investor pitches. What's the most common thing? And I'm, I want to close with this. What's the most common thing you see a founder do by mistake that they need to correct when they're doing an investor presentation? How much time do we have? <laughs> Fire away. We'll go as long as we need. No, I'm kidding. You know, I'm going to have to say, you know, something that my co-founder just goes on and on about and, and he has 
all the reasons to is to not write their pitch down, right? To right. say, oh, no, 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 I'll remember. I'll remember. No, you know, I've rehearsed it so many times. I'll remember, right? No, write it all down. I think that helps you not only feel more comfortable, feel more in control, but also adapt it to your, you know, the way that you speak it naturally. You don't sound like a robot. And we do a lot of work with entrepreneurs where, you know, English is not their, their native language, right? So mm. even more so in this case, because you don't have full control of the English language, reduce anxiety and just write it all down. These are the words that you're comfortable with. I mean, if when you're practicing, there's a word that it just, ah, it doesn't come out, right? Change it, mm -hmm. right? Or ask for, sure. you know, do another mentoring session with a pitch coach or, or something. So it needs to come out, it needs to flow so that they can see your energy, right? So do they, I'm, I'm assuming you say write it down as an exercise, but don't necessarily use it during the presentation, No, 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 to practice. Yeah. Write it yeah, all down to practice. To practice. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, it's really practice. a great idea. When I ran my health and fitness company, we did a lot of international work and we had exercise videos that we transcribed and then translated into different languages. And this really brought me to understand the challenges of doing business in Europe with multiple languages, multiple cultures. So we were actually selling our content in Romania. Uh -huh. So we hired someone to translate and then transcribe and then dub all of our videos in Romanian. And this is how it sounded. You feel the push-up now, right? And there was hours. I mean, we literally had a sound booth. This guy came in and transcribed hundreds and hundreds and thousands of words over, it was 30 exercise videos each an hour long. <laughs> so for, you know, for, you heard for an hour, you feel the push-up, go now, exciting, stand-up squat, very good. You know, and then we hired, we did them, in, <laughs> we, did, we did them for Spain, and we hired, <laughs> honestly, what's crazy is we hired two kids from Venezuela who happened to be in the U.S. who were great to do the Spanish translation, which is different than Mexican Spanish, which is different than Spanish Spanish. So I'm sure the people in Spain are like, this dude's from Venezuela. <laughs> but the Spanish have such a different approach, right? So he's doing it and he couldn't sit. He's like... We're going to do some push-ups now. This is going to be great. We're going to get so fit. This is awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Versus, you will do push-up now. <laughs> same exact words. Everything was the same. But watching how they did it in their tone and their intentionality and their culture, I can imagine you deal with this every day with founders from different parts of Europe. And you're like, we got to get this Romanian to act like he cares. And we got to take the Spanish guy and just, we just got to, we got to have him nap before he does this. <laughs> so how much of that plays into what you do as well? I love that example. But they, they do care. They do. They yeah. really do care. It's just that it's they're either not used to doing this type of thing where they're, they're pitching, where it's not just you're the star, you've built something, yay, bravo, right? No, you got to actually pitch it to someone and make them, yeah. like we said before, sell them that idea. Right. Why uh, would I join? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Sell them the idea and to make sure they don't reach out for their phone. Right. That's super important, especially <laughs> nowadays in the everyone's doing, you know, there's a lot more pitching opportunities online than offline. Mm -hmm. And the dynamics are different. Uh, they very there. much are. 
because you don't know if someone could be reading, you know, the news while they're listening to you, right? You don't know. Oh, it's very, I think it's very difficult. Body language is such an important thing when doing an investor pitch. I want to be able to find the person I'm losing in the room. And in person, I loved that because I'd walk towards them. Uh And I'd say, hey, John, I get the feeling this just isn't resonating. What's your concern? And pull them in, right? And you, it's hard to do that on a Zoom call because it's the Brady Bunch squares, the Hollywood squares. You can't really see if you're losing John, especially if they turn their camera off. Then, well, then maybe you really know you've lost them. <laughs> I, I love that one. Yeah, I love that one. We, we always try to say, you know, camera on, please. You know, I've co-hosted a few events where we actually said camera on or, or, or you're out type of a thing. And you can only do that, I think, in specific events. But hey, you run the show, you can uh, you can set the rules, right? One hundred percent. All right. So, last question: What's the next T-shirt logo? What's the slogan? What's it going to say? Hmm. So, first of all, I'm going to get the caps up on the store. My latest one is "Customers Don't Bite," and video I saw that video works right. So, I want to okay. I want to give that message. The next T-shirt, huh? I have not thought about it. I'll put a link to the store in the I show notes, so people can it. see it and purchase it, share it with others. Sina, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. I love it. And for me, it's great to learn more about what you do and some more depth behind it, particularly the the pitch slap. It's good for people to understand it's not what they think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we oh, can Pete, raise, raise the runway. Oh, yeah. We're going to raise the runway, raise the runway, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pete. This has been, this has been amazing. My pleasure. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend in Spain. You too. All right. Take care. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.